The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. When we talk about the illicit drug trade, it's often cocaine or heroin or these days fentanyl crossing borders to be put on the streets. But there's another drug you might never have heard of that's gaining ground in Europe and the Middle East, and it's being closely watched by the U.S. too. It's called Captagon. It's a highly addictive stimulant that can trigger a boost in energy and a sense of invincibility. Captagon isn't new. It's been in circulation since the 1960s. Gulf Arab states have been the biggest market over the past two decades, but it's now starting to spread to Europe and elsewhere. We have new information tonight from U.S. officials who say there is a powerful amphetamine called Captagon circulating throughout war zones of the Middle East. And tonight we're told jihadist fighters are believed to be using it as a go pill on the battlefield. So why are we talking about it now? Syria has become a major producer of Captagon over the past years, sending ripple effects through the entire region. The UK government estimates that today, 80% of the world's Captagon is produced in Syria. And the trade is worth about three times the combined totals of the Mexican drug cartels. The US and its European allies say the government of Bashar al-Assad is widely distributing the drug. They say he's using the billions of dollars in sales as a financial lifeline to soften the blow of Western economic sanctions. The United States imposed its toughest sanctions ever on Syria on Wednesday, aiming to choke off revenue for Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's government in an effort to force the country back to UN-led negotiations and broker a deal to end the country's nearly decade-long war. The U.S. moved to punish Syria after Assad's deadly suppression of a popular uprising in 2011. Since then, the regime has fought off rebels for control of the country in a civil war that has killed hundreds of thousands of people. Western officials say Assad is also trying to use Captagon to pressure other nations to end Syria's isolation. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad is attending the Arab League summit in Saudi Arabia for the first time since its country was suspended from the organization in 2011. That's something the U.S. opposes, but some other nations in the region are at least considering. This really was the low-hanging fruit for many of these countries. This would be something that they could convince the regime to make progress on in exchange for getting and building momentum to get to the more difficult agenda items. That's Caroline Rose. She's the director of the Captagon Trade Project at the New Lines Institute. We'll hear more from her a bit later. First, I want to talk to Bloomberg's Sam Dagger in Dubai and Sami Adgirni in Paris. They've been reporting on Captagon's rise as a street drug and as an unlikely political tool. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, how a decades-old drug became an international bargaining chip.
Sam, you write that Captagon is really spreading through Europe. I think a lot of people outside of Europe have yet to even hear about Captagon. Exactly what is it? It's an amphetamine-type pill. It first appeared in the 1960s in Germany as an authorized pharmaceutical under the trade name Captagon. Its main ingredient was fentanyl, and it was prescribed for a range of conditions, including attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and narcolepsy. And then in the 80s, when fentanyl was outlawed, production moved to Southern and Eastern Europe. And then after the collapse of the Soviet Union, they started to make it in Lebanon and Syria. I mean, you could say the production of it as an illicit drug kind of started in the 80s in Eastern and Southern Europe and then moved uh, to the Middle East, to Lebanon and Syria. And Sammy, you write that now this drug is being distributed across Europe and beyond. Exactly who is using it? A lot of people are using that drug. Uh, Workers in the Middle East, the youth also throughout Middle East countries, especially Gulf countries, it's become a major concern in countries like Saudi Arabia. And officials in European countries have noticed that shipments to Europe have increased. There's been significant amount of captagon seized in countries like Italy and France. And by all accounts, it has become a major concern for officials. Why are people taking this? There are a lot of different kinds of illicit drugs. Why has this one gained such wide use? This is nothing new here in the Middle East. I mean, this has been going on for the past 20 years. And mainly, as Sammy said, I mean, a lot of young people view it as a party drug. I mean, it's cheap. Depending on the quality, I mean, it's as cheap as $3 a pill to almost $25. So it's popular with like party goers, with construction workers in this part of the world who need to work double shifts. So this drug has been coming into mainly the Gulf states here for the past 20 years. But what changed is in the past 10 years, when the war started in Syria and uh, sanctions were imposed on the Assad regime and the regime and its ally in Lebanon, the Iran-backed militia Hezbollah, ratcheted up production significantly. So they saw it as a revenue generator. And the main destination of this drug has been Gulf states, particularly Saudi Arabia. Is Captagon used within Syria? We know it's exported, but what about inside Syria itself? Yes, Captagon is used in Syria, particularly by fighters. I mean, whether they're on the regime side, whether, I mean, there are all sorts of groups fighting in Syria still. When the Islamic State was in control of much of eastern Syria and large parts of Iraq, its fighters were using Captagon as well. While we were preparing the story, I had a chance to chat with someone from France who had been uh, paying attention to Captagon for, for a couple of years, and this person said something quite interesting. The person said that people who are using Captagon, at least in France, are mostly living in the countryside. So these are people who cannot afford expensive drugs like cocaine, and they're not, let's say, cool enough to use marijuana or other cosmopolitan, more urban drugs like ecstasy, for example, which are also more expensive, way more expensive than Captagon. You know, this is something that really caught my attention. But uh, this is something uh, that makes the tracking even more difficult because it's not happening in big cities. What's a matter of concern for officials is the tendency. Numbers are pretty small at this stage. They've noticed that there's a deliberate, a clear push from the Assad regime 
to increase flows of Kaftagon to Europe. So it is something that will likely become a much bigger headache in the foreseeable future. Sammy, what do we know about how much of this drug is being exported into European countries and elsewhere, and how many people are using it? There are no available data in Europe on how many people are using this, but we went from something that didn't exist at all as early as four years ago, five years ago, to a major source of concern. So while numbers are still relatively low, they are going up. Uh, They are increasing. How dependent is Syria on the money from this illicit trade in drugs? Very dependent. I mean, particularly, as I mentioned, the armed groups and the militias that are essential to the survival of this regime. And researchers estimate anywhere from 7 to $10 billion generated over the past three years. And this is based on the amounts seized all over the world. Sam, Syria's government has used Captagon as a tool or bargaining chip. What is Syria doing? This is a revenue generator for the regime, yes. But the money's not going into, like, Syria's uh, treasury or to fund the government. I mean, it's going to fund paramilitary units and armed groups that are essential to the security of the regime. Captagon is one of the many tools that the regime is trying to uh, use to put pressure on uh, Arab states like Saudi Arabia, on the West, to obtain, uh, you know, sanctions relief, reconstruction money, diplomatic recognition. He's also using the issue of refugees and refugee returns. So Captagon kind of falls into the many tools that the regime is using in order to extract concessions from the West and from, uh, you know, regional players like Saudi Arabia and others. What does Assad say about the Captagon trade? Does he acknowledge that the country is pushing this drug? In a recent interview, he denied involvement, but he said, yes, he acknowledged that it is a problem, that it is being produced and trafficked out of Syria and Lebanon. And he said, basically, this is what you get when you have chaos and war. But he put the blame on uh, the West. He said, you came in and you supported groups that tried to topple me. And he says, I can help you solve this problem. It is in my interest to solve this problem. I mean, this is what he claims. But in return for that help, I need you to do certain things, including lift sanctions, because, I mean, these sanctions are crippling and sweeping. Also, that you have to give me money to rebuild Syria, to put people back to work, to make sure that people have other sources of revenue, and on and on. And this is how he goes about it. Maybe the difference between what they say publicly and what they don't say publicly is uh, how much tides their hands are. I've heard from uh, Gulf officials who have been in direct contact with the Syrians, and then they say that behind closed doors, the Syrians make very clear that uh, they could easily stop it. After the break, are Western leaders considering concessions to Syria to reduce the flow of Captagon? The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. 
Sammy, is anyone suggesting that Syria should be granted some concessions so they'll cut down on this trade? Yes, big time, yes. This is what some uh, Gulf countries have been uh, advocating. This is uh, what uh, they're asking uh, their European counterparts, especially the Americans, because maybe the biggest concern for the Syrians is uh, sanctions, especially U.S. sanctions, um, U.S. unilateral sanctions. Officials from uh, Gulf states have been uh, lobbying Uh, European countries to make concessions. They say the Europeans should embrace reality and should recognize the fact on the ground. The reality on the ground is that Bashar has won the war. He's not going anywhere. Uh, So you you have no choice. It's either you deal with a guy who you don't like, but, you know, this is the only way you can solve that kind of problem, including terrorism and captagon, or, you know, you pretend that you will stick to your policy, which is uh, leading nowhere. You know, an interesting aspect of that conversation is that the Europeans are divided. They don't have necessarily the same views. A country like Italy uh, would be keen on somehow adjusting its policy, but they understand that uh, it could be more constructive to try and build bridges, to try to find some common ground on a variety of issues, especially when it comes to refugees or Captagon, because uh, obviously Italy is uh, closer to the eastern part of Europe, so they're geographically closer to the problem. And on the other hand, you have the hardliners like Germany or France, especially France. Macron made very clear that France's line on Syria will not going to change. So zero contact, zero recognition, and zero concession. I think one of the reasons uh, that helped explain, uh, you know, the reluctance of uh, countries like France and Germany is that they basically said that these efforts to somehow moderate these authoritarian leaders never works just a waste of time and energy. And they often cite, as an example, uh, Bashar himself. You know, not so long ago, in 2008, if I'm not mistaken, Bashar came to Paris, you know. Uh, Back then, uh, France was trying to um, extend another branch to to Syria. So uh, Bashar came to Paris, a very nice visit. They red carpeted him. And then they did the same with Muammar Gaddafi from Libya. And uh, all they got was more repression violence, human rights violations. And uh, so the conclusion is that it never works. What has the U.S. response been to these ideas of giving in to some of Assad's demands? The U.S. have made very clear that they're not willing to make any concession to the Assad regime. And I think sanctions that have been approved in the U.S. make that very clear. There is no room for any sort of concession. Earlier this year, when the Arab states were, you know, discussing uh, readmitting uh, Syria to the Arab League, the U.S. was telling them, fine, but you have to get something in return. I mean, you have to get prisoner releases, a real engagement by the regime in the UN-led efforts to end the conflict and to launch a credible political process. We have to see concrete moves by the regime. So the U.S. was always telling the Arab states, you can uh, normalize ties with him, you can bring him back to the Arab League, but you have to get something out of him first. Sammy, given how complicated this is, where do you see it going from here? It's very difficult to tell. I don't see Europe changing its stance in the foreseeable future. I'm not sure Arab and Gulf country will take any benefits from uh, reintegrating Assad to the Arab League. 
He's not really addressing the captagon flows. And even when it comes to the economy, to business perspective, this is a country in ruins, you know, this has been completely destroyed by war. The economy has collapsed. The Syrian currency is is a fraction of what it was until a few years ago. So even when it comes to investment, how can you possibly invest in a country that is under such heavy sanctions? So this is also, you know, part of the conversations that countries like uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia that do have a lot of cash, that have big funds that could potentially be used to invest in uh, in Syria. But uh, it's just not going to happen. How can you invest in a country where, you know, sanctions are so, so harsh? So what tools, if any, do other nations have to stop or reduce the flow of Captagon before it becomes out of control? I think if Iran switched uh, its position, I think if Iran decided to take a less soft stance on Syria, that there could be some change because Iran has been not only a political supporter, a political uh, backer of Assad, but also a key um, support when it comes to uh, you know the security apparatus. And also maybe uh, Russia. Russia is still a key factor uh, in any uh, conversation involving Syria. But at this point, it's very hard to see any uh, reason why uh, Syria would uh, change its course. There's a real risk of seeing a narco state so close to Europe. From the point of view of the Syrian opposition, they're pleading their case with, you know, the West and Arab states the following way. They're telling them, you're not going to get anything out of this regime. The only solution is to help us affect change in Syria. I mean, they're not saying launch a military operation to topple Assad, but somehow help us launch a credible political process that would change the system in Syria, bring a new form of governance in Syria, and eventually ease Assad out. Sam, Sammy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, what are the U.S. and its allies doing to halt the Captagon trade? The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We've talked about what the illicit Captagon trade means for Gulf countries and Europe. Let's now take a closer look at what the U.S. is doing about it. Caroline Rose is the director of the Captagon Trade Project at the New Lines Institute. That's a think tank here in Washington. Caroline, Captagon is obviously a top concern in Europe and other parts of the world, but it hasn't quite reached the U.S. yet. How concerned are policymakers, lawmakers about it eventually crossing the ocean and coming to the U.S.? I think that we're a long time out from seeing Captagon hit U.S. markets. I don't think it's quite yet something that would be competitive. 
That being said, I think that recently we've started to see a huge uptick in concern over Captagon reaching uh, European markets as well as um, markets in Africa. And over the last year or so, we've started to see some pretty clear signals that Captagon is beginning to carve out not only transit routes, but potential consumption markets in these areas. For example, this past July, we not only found a warehouse in Bavaria, in Germany, but also a laboratory, which shows that these networks are starting to dig their heels in and really settle and create embedded networks in the European continent. How much of the effort to stop Captagon is about other nations' relationships with Syria and with Assad? Ever since the Syrian civil war broke out and the Assad regime imposed atrocious crimes against humanity, against their own citizens, Syria, for the large part, has been iced out, pushed out of the diplomatic forum. And because of that, um, it has not you know, been able to participate in the Arab League. If with many countries, it's not allowed to have an embassy in their capital city. And many countries don't even engage in high-level phone calls with officials. Most recently, there's also been sanctions on suspected traffickers of the Captagon trade as well, which has also had quite an economic impact in the country. But recently, um, after a very devastating earthquake in southern Turkey and in northern Syria, a lot of countries that were toying and experimenting with the idea of normalization have sought kind of this window of opportunity and have started to race to achieve normalization with the Syrian regime. Really, the definition of what normalization would look like would be the resumption of diplomatic ties. During these normalization discussions, we saw in the spring there was a surge in bilateral calls and meetings and um, discussions about bringing Syria back into the Arab League. And Captagon was one of the most prominent discussion items. Why? I think there is a genuine wish and a genuine aim and objective to improve counter-narcotic capabilities. But ultimately, this really was the low-hanging fruit for many of these countries. In order to even tackle these more sensitive and more difficult agenda items, such as the patriation and um, a political settlement, they believe that Captagon, a trade that not many people know about, a trade where they perceive the regime as having leverage and um, agency over, this would be something that they could convince the regime to make progress on in exchange for getting and building momentum to get to the more difficult agenda items. How that's worked out, I don't think it's necessarily played out the way that regional countries have hoped for, especially this past May and this past April. We're still seeing Captagon seized regularly along the Jordanian and Syrian border. In Saudi Arabia, they're continuing seizures, uh, especially of shipments that seem and appear to be coming from Syria or Lebanon. So this has really in no way been able to stem the flow of Captagon. And while the Syrian regime has been able to seize a few things here and there as kind of this confidence-building measure, really the flow of the trade has not significantly been reduced. What kind of pressure, if any, is the U.S. bringing to bear when it comes to Captagon itself? So this past March, the U.S. Department of State and Department of Treasury, they imposed joint sanctions with the U.K.'s foreign 
Commonwealth and Development Office, the FCDO. Today, the United States took action in coordination with the United Kingdom to designate key individuals supporting the regime of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and the production or export in Syria and Lebanon of a dangerous amphetamine-type stimulant known as Captagon. And they announced those sanctions on March 28th. Uh, it was a series of sanctions on individuals as well as some commercial entities that were highly suspected of involvement in the Captagon trade, whether production or trafficking. The EU followed very shortly after in April and also imposed their own sanctions as well. And what this does effectively, it you know imposes kind of this travel ban. So a lot of these individuals will never be really allowed to travel to uh, the EU, to the United States, the UK. It also, of course, imposes a freeze on their assets and uh, really does try and make it very difficult for any company that has relations with these three governments to do commercial business with these individuals and these commercial entities. Has that had any real-world effect? As you describe it, the Captagon flow seems to be going on unabated. They certainly do have an effect in the sense of they have imposed a degree of accountability on these actors. It shows to the Syrian government and it demonstrates to the region that the United States, the UK and the EU are quite serious and are closely monitoring this issue, which a few years ago, really, I, I don't necessarily think that we could have said that. Captagon still is a niche issue, but back in 2018, 2017, when we started to see a huge uptick in the trade, the United States didn't quite have a strategy on that. Another thing we saw last year was the U.S. Congress passed the Captagon Act. Can you tell us what that is? And is it a serious piece of legislation or is it just more like a signaling device? So I think that the Captagon Act, which was an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, really did have a lot of teeth and concrete measures in the sense that it required the United States government to have an interagency strategy specifically about Captagon. Related to Syria, of course, and, you know, the Syria team over at State Department had a lot of agency over this, but it required an interagency conversation regularly between the United States Department of State, Treasury, Department of Defense and intelligence agencies to share what they know and to try and get as much information as possible to start monitoring seriously the Captagon trade as it relates to Syria, but also as it relates to the region and to the security of its partners. We saw the U.S. State Department release that report and release that strategy this past June, essentially communicating what they've been able to do, what they've been up to uh, in terms of improving counter-narcotics interdiction capacity, but also, of course, coordinating with partners, keeping pressure against the Syrian regime uh, and against, of course, the greater tide of normalization. And so, you know, really, I think that there's a lot more momentum with the strategy, and we're starting to see that as, you know, these discussions over Captagon evolve. And are we seeing bipartisan support for this issue? Yes. Uh, so I believe that, you know, back when 6542, the amendment was passed, that was sponsored by both French Hill, who is uh, Republican in the House of Representatives, but also Brendan Boyle. My friends, this is why this bill is so critical and important at this time. We need an all-of-government approach to addressing Assad's regime of drug production and trafficking. Captagon has already reached Europe 
and it's only a matter of time before it reaches our shores. And recently, there is a new um, piece of Captagon-related legislation that was proposed, again, by French Hill Republican, but then also by Democratic Representative uh, Jared Moskowitz. Caroline, where do you think things head from here? It seems like a bit of an intractable problem. It's going to be very difficult to completely quelch the Captagon trade. I think it's also extremely important that we don't evolve into a whack-a-mole strategy of trying to go after directly only the kingpins without looking at the production process or the precursors or even the demand side of the Captagon challenge. So I think it's going to have to involve a very comprehensive approach um, from the United States and its partners as well as regional countries. When looking at this problem set, the Captagon trade is going to expands most certainly geographically into Europe, to Africa as well, particularly sub-Saharan Africa and Northern Africa, where we're already starting to see storage facilities and low-level demand. And, you know, that is going to be a greater challenge and a challenge that goes beyond, you know, the the issue of Syria, but rather it's going to be kind of a trans-regional illicit economy that will pose both security challenges, but also, of course, long-term health challenges. Caroline, thanks so much for speaking with me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to Big Take at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zenab Siddiqui. Rafael Amsili is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back on Monday with another Big Take. Have a great weekend. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.